Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, at Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, good evening to you. How are you? Where are you? Uh, I'm in Liverpool, although my heart is in Marseille. Oh, very nice. Oh, of course, is that tonight? Uh, Thursday night, yes. Oh, Thursday night. Of course, oh, of course, it's not tonight. It's not. It's a Champions League night, Kieran. What would you be doing in the Champions League? <laughs> exactly. Says uh, the Palace fan, who's uh, another hamstring injury in training today. So, Roy needs to learn some some of the newfangled methods of training. I think. I think Roy's got them. <laughs> I mean, he's got them running up up and down the the steps at the. <laughs> At the Homesdale end. Um, I say good evening, Kieran. The cards on the table. We're recording this on Tuesday evening, Kieran, because uh, unfortunately I've got another bloody funeral tomorrow. Um, but the fact we're recording on Tuesday, normally we say if anything happens, uh, we'll get round to it next week. But but for once, Kieran, we have some big news, and it's uh, it's hot off the press. And you, you probably know my favourite historical story, Kieran, or, or one of them that is it yours. Three minutes after midnight on D-Day, the Oxford and Bucks light, in, light infantry land by glider to, to capture Pegasus Bridge on the far eastern flank of the D-Day beaches because they have to hold the bridge. If they don't hold the bridge, then German tanks will have free access to the beaches and the D-Day will fail and hold until relieved. And 12 hours later, they're, they're surrounded. They've taken a lot of damage. They're running out of ammunition. And one of the outpost sentries comes in to, to the officer to report that he thinks they, they, they heard bagpipes in the distance. And the, the officer says, no, you, you haven't heard bagpipes in the distance. It's your imagination. And then on the breeze, they hear bagpipes in the distance. And I've, I've heard two interviews with, with soldiers who were there who say that ever after is the sound of bagpipes would bring them to tears. And I, and I think, Kieran, for South End fans, you can maybe just about hear the skirl of the pipes on the breeze in the distance. We predicted that we'd be talking about Southend and Scunthorpe and Reading again. We didn't predict there'd be good news, but it looks like there might be good news, Kieran. Yes. Oh, I thought you turned into Al Murray there. With I the, beg your pardon. Yeah, yes. <laughs> with, with the full histo- history degree. Yeah, well, that, was, that, was, that was fascinating. It's the most – It's when you hear these men talk about it, Kieran, it's the most emotional thing, and it's, it's portrayed in the film The Longest Day. With and mm. they, were, they were relieved by Lord Lovett's commandos. Lord Lovett was a, 
an old-fashioned Scottish nobleman who raised his own regiment of commandos, basically, and took his bagpiper into battle with him. So the poor bagpiper had to advance towards the Germans whilst playing the bagpipes. Everyone else had machine guns. He had bagpipes. Um, <laughs> but it's an amazing story. And I, I, I thought about using it as, a, as an analogy. I thought, no, it's too serious. You can't compare what's happening to South End fans to to what happened in the early hours of D-Day. But in a way, Kieran, it's the only way I could think of, of mm. summarising what the mood might be for South End fans. And let's face it, this is a, this is this is news we didn't think we'd be giving, Kieran. To be honest, isn't it? Um, yes and no. I mean, I think right. we have said on quite a few shows that Ron Martin loves brinkmanship. He loves putting fans through the ringer, but we have had contact from people at Southend throughout this process to say. There's stuff going on in the background which we can't talk about. So there was always, there's always hope, and whilst there's hope, you you've got to be positive. So um, Southend have put out an announcement on their website to say that an agreement has been reached with a, a consortium headed by somebody called Justin Reese for uh, from Australia. Um, they're aiming for completion for the first of November. The the critical issue of the winding up order from HMRC has been dealt with. So the taxes have been paid. So the winding up order will be uh, effectively cancelled, which again gives further breathing space. So I think we've got two and three quarter cheers. Um, My only slight reservation, and, and I don't know the details on this, is exactly what is Justin Rees buying? Is he buying the football club? In which case, that's great. But what about the stadium? Yeah, because the stadium is owned by another company. And when you are dealing with somebody of the nature of Ron Martin, you've always, you know, when you shake hands, you you count your fingers when you, when you take <laughs> your hand back. And and you know, you've, you've, you've had this experience at Palace, haven't you? When, yeah, when the club yeah, was yeah. bought... Yeah. And all of a sudden, the former owner just says, oh, I still own the ground. I've got to tell you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's first of all, it's great news. There is going to be a South End United football club. There does appear to be a lot of positivity. It, it's, it's a huge sigh of relief. But, and I'm, and I'm sounding negative when I, when, I've, when I should be far more positive. I just know from experience of... You know, insolvency experiences of trying to sell companies. And also, if we take a look at some of the other clubs which have been sold, somebody can go and stick a stick in the spokes of your bicycle and, and screw things up. So, yes, yes, it's good news because the club's going to be in existence at the end of this week because the HMRC debt has been dealt with. It will be absolutely great if the new consortium can have not only Southend United Football Club, but Roots Hall as well. We, we've said we've always been slightly twitchy whenever there is a separation of football club from football ground. So it's it's great news, but they're not completely out of the woods yet. Yeah, there's a lot more detail to be put on the story, Kieran, but you, you would think that my initial reaction was that as the news came from the club mm. rather, from, rather than from the potential buyers – that would indicate that a deal is much clearer. I mean, if it was just Justin Reese saying, yeah, I think we've got a deal here, but it's yeah. an actual official announcement from Southend United to say a deal has been done. 
So you'd yes. imagine you'd imagine it's to the satisfaction of, of both parties, you'd guess, wouldn't you? Or hope. Yes, and I think the great thing is that the tax has been paid by somebody, and I don't care who, and Southend United fans don't care who, yeah. and I'm sure yeah, nobody else does. But you know, that, that particular issue has been put to bed for the, for, for the, for the present. Um, it's a bit like when you're buying a house. You know, until you complete on the deal, it ain't a deal. So, yes, it's great. Uh, there's been agreement in principle again going back to the house analogy you can agree a price with somebody you can sort of exchange contracts but you've not got the keys so therefore don't go and buy yourself your sofa just yet yeah and and glory be kieran i i I thought one day i'd get to use the the d-day story on this pod but i i I thought it'd be about a different club so all i can say kieran is that you have well, we've we rarely get to give good news. How many times have we opened a show with two bits of good news, Kieran? Because mm. it looks as though Scunthorpe United fans, they may not be hearing the, the bagpipes just yet, but the, the light at the, the end of this particular tunnel, Kieran, may not be an oncoming train as it has been recently. Yes. Oh, well, okay. okay so I'm I'll glad, give you... I'm, right. I'm glad I didn't use the bagpipes for that one, Kieran, because I would have thrown them away <laughs> with that response. <laughs> I'm going to give you the good news first. Okay. Um, there does appear to be an agreement uh, between a, a fan-based consortium and David Hilton okay. in terms of him effectively walking away from the club, him relinquishing control of Scunthorpe United Football Club Limited, which is good. There also appears in principle, from what I'm hearing, and I've been yeah, delving into various sources over the course of the last 24, 48 hours, um, that there's an agreement between the prospective new owners and the former owner, Peter Swan, who owns Glanford Park, yeah. for leasing the stadium until the end of the season. So that's great. That's breathing space. And we're recording this at uh, 7 o'clock on Tuesday evening. Ten minutes before 7 o'clock, I got a message from one of our secret iron okay so our <laughs> one, one of our one of our insiders yeah and he said and I won't use the exact language used because it's a little bit industrial uh, Hilton's trying to block the deal oh um he's now saying that the club has to leave Glanford Park before he will sign off as far right. as this is concerned and I'm going well, on the face of it, you know, what's in it for him? And then I go, well, let's take a look at some of the other deals. So if we take a look at what's happened with Bolton Wanderers, Bolton Wanderers went into administration. They were, again, very much on the brink. The new owners came in. The new owners have been pretty fantastic. Um, but before the administrators were able to sell the club. Everything had to be signed off by the previous regime. And the administrators haven't named the person involved. So I'm not going to name him. Um, But somebody says, oh, in order for me to sign across these particular rights, I want 250 grand. Wow. So could it be that David Hilton is going to have one last hurrah and to try to extract some money from this particular 
Yeah, terrible scenario because yeah. he's he's put the fans through the ringer. He's also split the fan base in a similar way to what we have seen at Berry in the way that uh, Steve Dale has has you know, fractured the town. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or is he just purely in it for some self interest? So th- this this was revealed to us, you know. 10 minutes before we recorded the show, and, and I was in a thoroughly good mood, and this had put a, a big dampener on it. It could be, by the time the show goes out on Thursday morning, that there's been a couple more twists, and we're back to you know celebrating um, a, a clean break. So positive news, yes. Perfect news, not quite yet. And I suppose as well, Kieran, it is positive. Let's celebrate the fact that it is positive news. You've got, without knowing who the fans in the fan consortium are, you don't know what their experience is at a high level of business or finance or negotiation. So you've got possibly potentially inexperienced people having to deal with two people, essentially, two, the current owner and the previous owner, about leases and rights and all sorts of stuff. So it's it's quite a daunting uh, task, you'd imagine, but at least it seems a daunting task is being undertaken, and that's all you can ask for at the moment, isn't it? Yes. Now, I think I know who is backing the okay. fan consortium. And, and I'm, right. if, if it is the people or the person that I think it is, that is good news. It's somebody that is a... Uh, a Scunthorpe United fan, and, and B, if it is that person, they have the resources to address some of the the challenges facing the club. Oh, I can't even ask you for hints. I was gonna, I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna mention the word "strictly come dancing," but that would be a potential. I can't do that. In the meantime, though, Kieran, just again before we went on air, the fans of both clubs, Scunthorpe and uh, Southend, issued a joint statement today asking for government intervention if it looked like both clubs were going to go under, which is another interesting development. But hopefully no government intervention will be needed because I wouldn't think it would come if it was. Uh, Yeah, well, certainly it wouldn't come as far north as Scunthorpe, given what (laughs) the government appears to be doing. Um, But uh, as, as, as somebody that A, loves trains and B, has lived 40 years of my life in Manchester, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking HS2. Get, I'll are get you, too angry. Are you, are you suggesting, Kieran, that should uh, Stevenage or Walsall be in a bit of trouble, the government may step in, that anything north of that, and because if you are, then I think you're probably correct. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not even reaching you. St- I... I, I I just wonder if Rishi Sunak, and it will have happened by the time this goes out, if he stands if he stands in front of the crowd in in Manchester and says it, it's not going to Manchester, but by the way we are going to fund it going all the way to Euston rather than stopping at older, then he's a better man, mm. braver man than I give him credit for. Um, talking of the North, Kieran, you, you probably would have seen a, a, a tweet video that went viral over the weekend um, of the. The Man United game on Saturday when and let me remind myself mm. who did who did they Oh yeah, he lost one nil at home uh, to they, um, lost, they lost one nil to Crystal Palace, uh, yeah. They did, yeah, they did, yeah, yeah. Well although to be fair, in a previous home game they lost three one to Brighton and Home Albion. Okay, mm. So. Mm. Yeah. Um but there, there is a video of basically quite a few fans getting wet um because the the roof was leaking. Um which which indicates that something needs fixing at Manchester United, but 
We thought that Sir Jim Ratcliffe would be the one to do the fixing, and he's still interested, it seems, but not as interested as he was. Yes, this, to me, is totally baffling. The story which is now doing the rounds is that Sir Jim Ratcliffe is going to buy 25% of Manchester United. Now, the first thing you've got to say is, well, from whom? Because is it going to be from the Glazers en masse? Or is it going to be from those members of the Glazer siblings who have never been interested in football in the first place and are probably thinking, well, we can get a quick quids in and then we just go on, live the rest of our lives and let Avram and Joel Glazer, who appear to be the, the main drivers of, of wanting to continue to, to have control. Um, but th- there's more questions than answers from this. First of all, if Sir Jim Ratcliffe is going to buy the shares from the Glazer family, this means that no money will be received by the club itself. So this will be you know, a straight sale of shares from investor A to investor B, and it bypasses the club. Now, again, you know, as somebody who's lived the majority of my years in Manchester, Manchester and Rain are common bedfellows. So you know, the fact that the Glazers have got such contempt for the, for, for the fans... And I think that has been shown on numerous occasions. It was shown on Project Big Picture. It was shown on um, Super League and so on. But this this is in further indication of this, um, that they have not been willing to, to spend money on infrastructure spend. It doesn't look as if there's going to be more money to address the fact that Old Trafford is now a 20th century stadium in the 21st century as far as the facilities for what you would call the regular fans. The the, uh, the suits are looked after, okay? The, the hospitality offerings are fantastic. I'm not denying that. But for the rest of you, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's Marie Antoinette, you know, let them eat cake and so on. Um, the second issue is that if Sir Jim does buy the shares from the Glazers, he will be buying what's known as the Class B shares. Now, the Class B shares have... 10 votes for every share, but the Class A shares, which are the ones which are traded on the New York Stock Exchange, only of one share. So it could could be that he ends up buying 25% of the shares, but under the Manchester United constitution, they automatically turn into Class A shares. So he ends up with about 6 or 7% of the votes, which would go, well, what's in it for him? Because even if Manchester United start paying a dividend again, um, he doesn't need you know a couple of million a year. You know, he's, he's he's the wealthiest man in the country, so I don't see any financial benefit to him for doing so. It might give him a place on the board of directors, but that's uncertain. And I can assure you that if this does go ahead. And this is effectively being used as a as a blocker to prevent Sheikh Jassim acquiring the club. Jassim wants to buy 100% of the shares. End of story. Take the club private. I would imagine that Manchester United fans, well, certainly you know, the hardcore United fans that I know, you know from places like Harper A and Gorton and so on, they'll be absolutely incandescent because you end up with, with the worst of both worlds. The Glazer family get... A lot of money. Yeah, they could get up to you know, a billion pounds uh, as a result of this. The Glazer family 
will still own the majority, will still have control of the majority of the votes, and no money gets invested in the club, and the Glazers are still responsible for the key decisions being made at a strategic level as far as the club is concerned. And I know I've said this on many occasions, you look at a business, it's opportunities, resources, decision-making. Manchester United have got greater resources potentially than any other club in English football because they've got the biggest fan base. They've got the opportunities. They're in the Premier League and all of this. So why have they performed so poorly? It's because of decision-making. Now, you can make coaches scapegoats, but somebody appoints the people that appoints the coaches. And ultimately, you go up that chain of command and it comes to the Glazers. So I just think this is an absolutely terrible deal for Manchester United Football Club. Not Manchester United Football Club PLC, because I don't really care about that. But yeah, I've, I've got friends who are Reds. So I've got friends who are Manchester City fans and so on. And I think from their point of view, it's just a kick in the teeth. But yeah, they've had that from the Glazers since 2005. Now, you've touched on something there, Kieran, um, which I specifically asked you to stop doing the first time we met, to be perfectly honest. But John Texter, um, just a few weeks ago, John Texter, in an interview in The Athletic, said that he regretted only buying 40% of Crystal Palace Football Club. Um, Mm. He wished he'd bought the entire club two years ago, but he was trying to buy Benfica at the time, so he settled for 40% of Crystal Palace, which he described as the worst of both worlds because he, he, he owns a significant part of the club but doesn't have a significant influence over what happens either on or off the pitch. Now, Jim Ratcliffe is a much, much bigger beast mm. in the financial jungle than John, John Texter is. So you you would only imagine that there must be, if this story is true, and it's been given credence by lots of um, reliable sources, you, you you have to think that there is a, another reason for it. Because why on earth would Sir Jim Ratcliffe, who's a man getting on in years, who's a man used yeah. to controlling... I mean, he's controlled his own business. He, why would he suddenly just take a, a subsidiary role, a backseat in, in running? You can understand why he would want to acquire Manchester United. Of course you would. It's one of the, as we constantly say... No matter where they are in the Premier League, no matter the state of Old Trafford, they are a global brand. Of course you understand why he wants to be part of it. But why would he want to have such little part of it? It makes no sense either in terms of him making money or in terms of him running things the way he's used to. Well, I I agree with you entirely. You've got to look at, ultimately, all, all decisions are due to a motivation factor. What would motivate him? There has been talk that this could be used as a as a stalking horse and will allow him to buy more shares at a later date. Well, as you say, he's, he's not a spring chicken. Um, yeah, you know, one wishes everybody good health and, you know, given, you know, given it the benefits that he, he, he has had in life as a result of being successful. And, you know, he, he comes from humble origins. Um, you know, you would expect him to have many years left, but it, it, it beggars belief. Uh, and why would the Glazers not sell more than 50% to him now as opposed to sort of the the sort of nudge-nudge, wink-wink, it could be 50% in, in a couple of years' time? Um, because, yeah, they might as well go and cash out now. They're, they're, they're going to be rich regardless. Um, as yeah, By 25% or, or, or there are all of their shares in terms of all of their votes, they're, they're going to be spectacularly rich. So 
I think it could be an element of greed on behalf of some of the glazers, or it could be that the family is split, and this is a way of addressing that particular issue. It's a bit like if you watch Succession, um, the family there were constantly at war. Uh, if you if you look at some other families in the media, who are, are sort of a bit global, you know, they don't seem to um, uh, get on particularly. Um, did, did I tell you I, I was once told to fuck off by Robert Maxwell? You you did not, Kieran. No. What did he tell you? To, I, I can imagine. I, I'm not. I'm not surprised that Robert Maxwell would use that sort of industrial language, as the Sky commentator would now be saying. Apologies <laughs> yes. if those of you at home heard some industrial language. Why he thinks people in crowds at football matches uh, talk the same way they did in factories in the 1950s, I don't know. But uh, I can imagine Robert Maxwell using using those words. Indeed. Why did he tell you to fuck off? Well, a a company had gone into administration, uh, and I was sort of I was a fairly junior member of the team, um, and there was a creditors' meeting in Manchester Town Hall, no less. Um, and my job was to ensure that all of the creditors who turned up were a on the list of creditors and b had proper ID. So um, this was a company involved in the world of printing, and. I'm there with my clipboard because I'm an accountant. Of course. You'd expect me to be. Um, And people were coming in and I'd direct them to, please sit there, sir, madam, whatever it's going to be. And then Robert Maxwell turned up uh, along uh, with Kevin and Ian, his his two offspring, who who were behind him. It was was like a a march of the penguins (laughs) um, in the the way that they, they approach it. And he he was uh, smoking an enormous cigar, and Manchester Town Hall had a no smoking policy. So, uh, mm. first of all, I wasn't going to give him the acknowledgement that I knew who he was. So I said, uh, "Excuse me, sir, can you just confirm your name?" And he goes, "Maxwell." And then <laughs> which which company? And he named the Maxwell Company. And I said, "Well, you need to go and sit over there, sir." Uh, but I'm, I'm terribly sorry. I'll have to ask you to uh, extinguish your cigar due to the policy of uh, the City of Manchester Council. And he looked at me and he says, "You can." fuck off and <laughs> went and sat down and then he tried to go to the front of the meeting and sit where the administrators were were supposed to be doing in terms of the, the credit yeah he and he was a bully and, and he, he yeah. and it, yeah to be fair the uh yeah my boss said yeah, yeah on, on your bike uh robbie boy but uh yeah horrible human being yeah i i'm not entirely sure how we started talking about robert maxwell but i can just imagine him that I bet your ears were burning that night. I bet he was in some swanky restaurant in Manchester going, lanky twat, telling me to put my cigar out. <laughs> he look like a Brighton fan as well. Um, one final thing on Sir Jim Ratcliffe, Kieran, and, and I, I, I can't see that this would be so, but there have been one or two people suggesting that perhaps this is, uh, Sir Jim is not worth as much as we've been made out, that he, he actually can't afford to buy the whole of Manchester United or... In fact, this is almost him sticking two fingers up at the Glazers by saying, if you're constantly going to put the, the asking price up, I'll, I'll buy a, a derisory 25. I can't imagine that's the case, but there, have, there has been that suggestion that perhaps it indicates he's strapped for cash. I think his strapped for cash is probably <laughs> slightly different to ours. <laughs> There's me thinking, can I, can I can I really go for that kebab on the way home? Oh, geez, I've got no cash. Um, 
It, it could be that Sir Jim, the majority of his wealth is tied up in property assets. It's tied up in corporate assets such as Ineos. So does he have you know, five billion pounds in cash spare? Probably not, because he's a successful person and successful people tend to have their their assets tied up in a myriad of asset classes. Um, so I, I, I think he, he, he's in a position whereby um, if, yeah, if, he, if he goes to a big corporate lender and probably, probably says, oh, I'm Sir Jim, will you lend me five million quid? They're going to fall over themselves. Yeah. So I, even if he's not got the physical cash to do it, he's certainly got the resources upon which uh, money could be acquired. So I, I don't see that as a problem. But the deal, the proposal baffles me because he goes from hero to zero in the sense that he would yeah. be seen to effectively be allowing the Glazers to continue in their present role. The Glazers get cash. Manchester United gets nothing. Manchester United fans, they'll be, they'll be manning the barricades, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah I, I doubt very much if Sir Jim Ratcliffe has ever been in Waitrose going, well, I can afford the lime or I can afford the squid, <laughs> but I can't afford them both. So I either have squid but no ceviche or lime. <laughs> Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Huge news, Kieran, about um, English football broadcasting deal. Yes, um, you know there you did has that, you been. Did a, that, Kieran, you did that pause that you always do, and I think it's a massive story. And you do a little pause and an inward sigh, when which indicates I've read the signals wrong again. No, no, I, I think <laughs> this is in, this is indicative of closer relations between the EFL and the Premier League, um, and it looks as if there's there's going to be a proposal through which they are going to sell the international rights of both competitions ah, right, together. Okay. Now, that's not right. the same as the domestic rights. So, so what right, we okay. see being bought by Sky and TNT Sports and Amazon and so on, um, that's... But uh, you, you have to say, well, hold on. The international rights are now more valuable than the domestic rights. So, so that is a positive. It looks as if the EFL is going to get 14.75%, or rather the proposal is that they're going to get 14.75%, which on the face of it, I think looks a pretty attractive proposition. It will certainly, it will increase the absolute amount of money that they get from international rights. So, so that, I think, is a positive. The trouble is, if you're getting... 14.75% and the cake is getting bigger, 
then in terms of the actual number of pounds worth uh, money, that goes up. But the gap between the Premier League and the EFL will grow as well. So that is the downside. Uh, and there's also been talk, and I think this is where potentially, you know, again, we could have a positive here, is that, well, if they can come to an agreement as far as the international rights is concerned, then there must be the opportunity to come to some form of agreement with regards to the domestic rights. But this particular deal in terms of the international rights, it won't be kicking in until 2028. So, you know, you think about how many more episodes of the price of football we will have covered by the time we get to 2028. Um, I, I think that there's there's a lot of detail. And at present, this is a proposal which has been presented to the, the chief executives and the owners of EFL clubs. And the sort of the, the I think the practical response is, well, you know, we, we have to be honest that we know that it's not necessarily easy, and, and this is not making any, you know, any negative comments about the teams involved, but if we're trying to sell Middlesbrough versus Reading to Asia, there's not a lot of takers. So potentially we will benefit. Um, so all of the clubs, I think, in the EFL, if this deal is agreed, they will benefit, but not until 2028, and it will not address the cliff edges that exist a, between the Premier League and the Championship, and B, which is never spoken about, and this is a problem that the EFL itself is not willing to address, the gap between the Championship and League One. Mm. So essentially, I just want to make sure I've got this right in my head. From from 2028, um, Australian broadcasters, uh, German broadcasters, for example, will be bidding for all of English football. They won't be able to say, we just want yeah. the Premier League. They have to... Right, OK, so fair enough. I just wanted to get that... Sorry. Now, Kieran, I'm feeling slightly sorry for Reading fans at this point because it seems it seems a bit unfair that we've had what seems like very good news for South End fans, what seems like encouraging news for Scumful fans, and and we haven't mentioned Reading. But here's a Reading story, Kieran, and I I, I don't want to commit myself to, as to whether this is a good news story or not. I don't want to overexcite Reading fans, only for you to to urinate on their fried potatoes, Kieran. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly... I'm, I'm more positive about this one in the sense that... Oh, great. Um, at least we've got an owner who has moved who's moved forwards in terms of his position. So the Reading owner, uh, Dai Yong, again, this has come through the club's website, has said that he is willing to listen to, and I quote, credible offers in respect of his ownership of the football club. Now, you then have to say, well, well, hold on, what is he selling? Because if he is, again, if he's just selling the football club and it's in the third division, or whatever you want to call it, it's in League One, what's the asking price going to be? He's also sold the stadium to himself uh, for an FFP uh, shimmy uh, a few years ago. The club has been losing on average, five hundred grand a week um, for the last sort of four or five years. So, you know, I would say a credible offer for a football club under those circumstances would be one of our finest English pounds. And then I just walk away. That means I'm not having to cover those five hundred grand a week losses, which he's been struggling to do. Um, there is further good news in respect to Reading, um, and that this should be a given. The wages were paid last week. Hurrah! Now, there was, I think, genuine concern that that would not be the case. 
Um, Reading have been subject to multiple points deductions. Um, I think 16 points deductions in total spread over uh, more than one season. But also reading the website, um, whilst the, the wages appear to have been paid, the money owing to HMRC has not been paid, and this has triggered the transfer embargo, which isn't an issue at present, but it won't be lifted until we reach a, a better position with regards to the club's finances. And we don't know the reaction of HMRC, because they're saying, well, OK, they managed to pay the wages. We ain't being paid. Why should we have to put up with this? So yeah, they might kick off and uh, they might start uh, becoming awkward and putting in petitions for, for winding up and so on. But yeah, that's, that's pure speculation on my part. Um, HMRC have an obligation uh, on behalf of the taxpayer to, to collect money. And uh, Reading's owner appears to be selective as to what he's prepared to pay. I, I I like the idea of an FFP shimmy, Kieran. That's that seems like something you'd be doing in round ten of Strictly. We're doing the old FFP shimmy tonight. <laughs> it also sounds like something Uncle Terry would say if he was ever owning a football club and he was up in court. It's, it's just a bit of the old FFP shimmy, Your Honour, isn't it? We're, we're all up. <laughs> Which of us isn't doing a bit of the old shimmy shammy? Um, talking about HMRC, Kieran, it, it seems that they've taken time off from very politely asking me for uh, unpaid tax for the last couple of years to very politely ask some UK football clubs as well. Yes, um, they have increased the amount of money that they've collected from clubs. This has mainly been due to clubs historically have been saying that um, we will pay agents fees. Now, if the club is paying the agents fee on behalf of the player, then that's a benefit in kind to the player. And the player should be subject to PAYE and national insurance. And also the club potentially should pay national insurance in respect to those payments. So I think that's one area that uh, HMRC have been investigating. And you know, we, we've spoken to agents before, you know, the idea of, of representing dual representation, occasionally triple representation as well, with regards to a player signing a contract. Um, ultimately, who is the agent working for? And I think HMRC at times sort of, yeah, they, they've done Jimmy Hill. They, they, they've they've they, they've stroken their chin. They've stroken their chin, I say, no less, and go, yeah, I think you're doing a bit more work for the player than you're giving on here, and therefore there's some tax implications. So, so that's one issue. The second issue, uh, and again, this is something that we have raised before, is the issue of image rights. Uh, football players are brands in their own right. You've only got to look at the social media followings of the, the elite players, you know, they've, they've got more Instagram followers and TikTok followers than the clubs that they play for on a regular basis. And I think in respect of those players, even HMRC would acknowledge, yeah, we, we can understand the, the image rights issues here. If, if you are a reserve left back for Birmingham City, could you genuinely say that 20% of your income or more um, is for your image rights. And, and people say, well, well, who cares? Well, if you have a salary, let's say you've got a salary of, you're on 10 grand a week in the championship, you are taxed on the full 10 grand a week. If you allocate 20% of your money to image rights, that goes to a separate company. 
So instead of you paying tax at 45% on all of your, your upper income, the image rights company is paying tax at, I think it's 19% on the money that it's earned. So, so there is there is a potential loss to the exchequer. So HMRC, by all accounts, have, have looked at this more carefully. And I think the third issue that I was picking up on is HMRC are looking at benefits in kind to players' families. So, you know, if if a player goes to a Europa League final or a Champions League final or a pre-season tour, if the player's family ends up going on tour with them, is that a benefit in kind indirectly to the player? So, you know, there are complications here. Uh, but it looks as if HMRC's investigation team, which I, I think you know, we, we established involved one person or occasionally <laughs> one person and his mate, um, has been beefed up a bit. It's raised, you know, we're talking a nine-figure sum. I think it's well over £100 million. Um, so, so fair play to them. But uh, it, it is indicative that football is, is acknowledged as being an industry which has a, a lot of wealthy individuals. And you can't get away with that. Uh, I think in, in order to get away with, with not paying taxes, uh, it's it's more to do with who you know. Yeah, I think it was pod two or three, Kieran, way back when, when you said that you understood HMRC's uh, unit, for want of a better word, to claim unpaid tax from football clubs consisted of two people and one of them was on mm. long, long-term sick leave. Um, yes. So, so, <laughs> so it seems like he or she is, has come back, which is good news. That benefit in kind of thing is really interesting because you've got me worried now because I think both Ali and the Baroness are coming up to Salford for for that. Oh. Where, where do we where do we stand there, Kieran? Do we have to declare the train fare? On a... I, I will get the Baroness to bring up a Marmite loaf and sell it. Ah, those, so, and I, then it's a bit. Then it's the business deal, surely. Right, I shall. I'll, 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 well, now see if the Baroness is doing Marmite loaf. I can't ask Ali to bring Marmite loaf up. I'll have to find something else. She hates Marmite. She wouldn't have bought Marmite loaf up, even if it involved a tax cut. Um, a, a slightly odd story from Aston Villa, Kira, about their kit deal. Yes. Um, Aston Villa uh, players have, by all accounts, been complaining about the kit which is being supplied to them by a relatively new brand Castore. Um, and if you've, if you've seen the photographs, um, yeah, uh, there is a process called wicking, i.e. if you sweat, um, a good uh, piece of sporting merchandise will make sure that the sweat effectively transfers through your body, evaporates very quickly, and that means that you are able to, to play relatively unaffected. It's quite evident from looking at the photographs of uh, Aston Villain's Castore kit um that, that that has failed to do so therefore yeah by the time you reach 90 minutes and remember we, we are talking about athletes that are running normally somewhere between 10 to 12 kilometers in in a 90 minute match um they've been absolutely soaking wet and they're saying well this this is this is unacceptable this is affecting our performance it, it, so looks like brighton getting stuffed 6-1 at the weekend we got <laughs> off lightly if, if, if the villa players are correct um so we therefore have to look at uh, Castore, whose uh, whose motto uh, is "Better never stops," um, but they don't actually appear to apply that. 
And if you take a look at the history of Castore, it is a relatively new company. There have been quality control issues. Um, and let's be honest, we're football fans. You know, we're, we don't know much about fabrics. We, we don't know much about wicking because when we watch, when we buy a football kit and we use it, we use it to attend a match. So therefore, we don't tend to be perspiring. Um, but there's been issues in terms of their first main deal, which was with Rangers and Rangers fans were were complaining, and we don't complain as long as it's got as long as it's got blue and it's got the badge. You know, as football fans as a main, it's the new kit, and, and you buy it regardless. But there's also been issues at Newcastle. There were issues in respect of Castore's deal with Wolves because they put the the Wolves badge on upside down <laughs> on some of the shirts. Um, so, so I contacted our good friend the secret kit manufacturer and <laughs> had a long one. chat, a long <laughs> discussion about this because the story going through in the press is that as a result of these, these wet look kits um, and, and it's affected the women's team as well. Um, and the women's team is saying, yeah, we're getting sweat patches where we don't want sweat patches. And yeah, it's just look, it's pretty, pretty shabby stuff. Um, our, our secret kit manufacturer reckons that, there could be an opportunity for Villa to walk away from the contract. And, and this is the story that's coming out of the press, not necessarily to do with the witness, but to, to, to be broadly looking at other issues in terms of breach of contract, you know, deliveries of kit not on time, the level of service, poor contractual obligations by the manufacturer, poor. Um, we've seen Newcastle move from Castore to Adidas, and you know, Adidas have made a big fuss about this, and I think that's also appeared in the the Newcastle. You know, I think it's an Amazon Prime or a Netflix documentary about Newcastle. Um, and uh, the, the secret kit manufacturer did say that it could there could have been a very cute change of ownership clause um, when uh, PIF acquired the company from Mike Ashley, which allowed. Uh, PIF to, to to effectively to rip up the contract with Castori and not having to pay them compensation because when Chelsea moved from Adidas to Nike I think in around about 2016 2017 um, they had to pay Adidas somewhere in the region of 50 million pounds in compensation for ripping up the contract early um, again talking to our, our friend in the business he said You've got to. It, it's a bit of a game from from the club's point of view. You can either partner with a tier one brand, and your and your tier one manufacturing brands would be Nike, Puma, Adidas. But if you are a smaller club, and you know this is no disrespect to Villa, you know, you know, we we both remember Tony Morley, Peter oh, Wyth, God. Oh. You know, with those those glory Gary, days. Gary Shaw, oh yeah, Gary Shaw, absolutely. Yeah. Dennis Mortimer. Dennis What a beard. What a beard, yeah. 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 Um, so we all remember those days, but Villa have not been challenging for the Premier League trophy. They've not been in the Champions League in, in you know for, for many a year and so on. Um, so therefore, they would be viewed by the Tier 1 brands as a Tier 2 club, and they would get a Tier 2 service. Now, what do I mean by a Tier 2 service? It's as follows. If, if Manchester United are short of kit, Adidas will do everything in their power to get that kit to the Manchester United megastore for the next match. Exactly the same will happen in respect of Chelsea and Nike 
Liverpool and Nike, Manchester City and Puma and so on. If you are a second tier club, and I could, I, and I know this from you know, going into the Brighton megastore or, or quinoa store as we prefer to, <laughs> refer to it, um, on regular occasions, you, you can't buy merchandise because Nike say, well, yeah, we're focusing on we're focusing on Chelsea and Liverpool, and it's not that we don't want to serve you, but frankly, you're not that important to us. Uh, so, so there's that. Or you go for a non-tier one brand. So you go for, for somebody such as Castore, i.e. not Nike, Adidas, Puma, and so on. You might get a better service, but the, the smaller brands tend to have less focus on quality control. They become less reliable. And that's the risk. So it, it is a trade-off. Um, and I think the other thing, and this is this is actually from the story itself, um, our, our good friend in in the know said the the, the manufacturers, everybody thinks that, that they're, they're making a fortune. They are all losing money with their big commercial, with, with their big clubs. So you know, the Manchester United £900 million deal with Adidas, people go, how are Adidas making money on the back of that? They're not. They're actually losing money. But what Adidas are doing, they're saying, well, look, you know, if if Team Viewer or you know it's whoever it's going to be from, is it Snapdragon or, or Quadcom or whatever it's going to be, you know, if they're prepared to to pay a lot of money to have their logo next to the Manchester United crest, we're actually prepared to lose money in terms of um, supplying the gear because it actually helps the Adidas brand um, rather than. Uh, it's a money-making vehicle in its own right. A, a, a couple of things off the back of that, Kieran. F- first of all, what the f- what does better never stops mean? I mean, that's a sort well, of... Yeah. I mean, that's a... What, seriously, there was a car advert about a year ago and the slogan at the end was forward into the future. It's like, well, we've got no choice, have we? There's, we're all, there's, which, whichever way can we go except for... And, Thirdly, Kieran, some of these modern footballers, and I, I hate to sound like my dad here, God rest his soul, but some of these modern footballers, Kieran, moaning about a bit, they should have said, when we played football in the 80s, Kieran, the state of our nipples after 90 minutes with, with, those, with, those, with those shirts, it's just yes. those, those scratchy nylon. Oh, my God. Pep Guardiola, Kieran, is someone we uh, admire very greatly. He's one of the greatest mm. managers that football's ever seen. He's very cool. He's quite funny um and now this is not necessarily a, a, an actual finance question but it's one we have to raise now he's become even cooler as far as from now on i'm going to call him red pep from now on <laughs> yes yes what, what what was the what was the name of that guy at british leyland oh god yeah, there's, the there's red there's red robber wasn't there red, red robber yeah red, red robber. robber yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so he, he's the equi- um Pep Guardiola is standing up for the rights of of the people that he coaches. And he is saying um, there is an overload of expectation in terms of what players have to deliver. So we are moving towards a bigger Champions League. We are moving towards an expanded uh, World Cup. We are moving towards a... You know, we now have the Nations League as well as the... Euros, we're going to have the Club World Cup with 32 teams in. And I don't know about you, have you ever said, do you know what's missing most in my life? We, we don't have enough fixtures. Yeah, I'm, I'm 
quite happy with 38 games, you know, getting knocked out in the second or third round of the Carabao Cup and you know, perhaps getting to the quarters or of the FA Cup. And anything beyond that is is a bonus. But I've never thought, and, and you know, again, you know, I, I work in the city of Liverpool. I've lived the majority of my life in the city of Manchester. I talk to City, United, Liverpool fans and so on, and they go, well, we don't want more fixtures. It's costing us a fortune, as it is. Um, you know, an extra couple of group games. I can't, I can't wait for the international break. I just, uh, a weekend off, the anxiety and misery and fear. Get me to the international break and we're not in the bottom three. You, you can't see a happier man. I don't want, yeah. I don't want more fixtures. I don't want more worry. Yeah. And, and, and we are talking about elite athletes. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, Usain Bolt did not become a better runner by somebody saying, okay, Usain, yeah, another 10, <laughs> another 10 sprints, putting your hamstring at risk. Um, what you're looking for is, is quality rather than quantity. And you are seeing a number of players incurring soft tissue injury. I mean, just, yeah, just talking about what you've got at Palace at present. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you've got loads. We've got we've got players that have never been injured historically at Brighton. Yeah, Pascal Gross has got injured. Adam Lallana, okay, he's got he's, he's never been great on injuries, right? But we, yeah, you know, we're getting. And then you look at Manchester United and you got Liverpool, and people say, "Well, hold on, you know, Pep Guardiola, he's always he's always mouthing off." But this has been echoed by Mikel Arteta, by Jurgen Klopp, by Erin Ten Hag, and, and all of the other elite managers. Um. Why are they saying this? It's because, well, yeah, their job is the line. If you're if you miss out on having Kevin De Bruyne for four or five months, that's going to affect. Yeah, we, we've just seen uh, other uh, well-known City players and so on that they've they've got, they've got injured injuries. Manchester United, I don't think, have got a left back. This is Manchester United we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. it's ludicrous. But the owners don't care because the owners say, well, we want to, yeah, we want to sweat the assets. We want. More competitions. We want more preseason tours. Um, we don't care that the players. You know, it's, it's not necessarily. You know, where's the benefit for the player for travelling four thousand miles to go and play an exhibition match? It's, it's you see the benefit, the bottom line. And then the critics of the coaches say, well, they earn a lot of money, but that that's independent. Yeah, they, they would be earning a lot of money regardless. And if you end up having to retire a couple of years early because you know you've you've had so many of these injuries. Uh, it, it doesn't seem fair. And again, I've noticed the criticism and I understand where people are coming from. Yeah, look at League One and League Two. They've got 46 league games. Well, but players for the Premier League clubs, they the game is faster. You know, we, we know from having clubs that have both come through the championship, the gulf that exists yeah, yeah. between the championship and the Premier League. So it's a faster game. It's a more intense game. Yes, you've got more substitutes which are available now, which I think is a, is a step forwards. But you want to see your best players playing 90 minutes on a more regular basis. Well, also, I, I want to see Kevin De Bruyne play. I, mm. I feel left over. He's my favourite player of the last decade. I, I don't want to see him sitting on the sidelines. I don't want to see how forlorn he looked You know, 25 minutes into the Champions League final. I think there's actually been a sea change amongst fans in the last five or six years ago, Kieran. Whereas... I mean, 10 years ago, a lot of football fans, probably myself included, would say, well, they're fit, they're professionals, they can play two games a week. I think people are starting to understand the, the stresses and strains. And when the coaches say, I mean, the coaches are the ones who see them every day. And also, Kieran, I think with this, this weekend's VAR controversy, I don't think there's any doubt that it's related to the fact that the two VAR officials stepped off a, a plane from the UAE mm. 
the the day before. They must have been. They can't have been at the peak of full mental. You don't have to be physically fit to sit in a chair watching a screen, which is a bonus. I thank my lucky stars for every night. But they must have been tired. So it's it's they really are pushing players to the limit. I think. We still have a couple of stories to go, Kieran, and we've been on for a while, so let's see if we can wrap these up relatively quickly. Mm. Um, it, it's really interesting, all the media, all the broadcast media, especially focused on the fact at Goodison Park on Saturday that the potential new owners of Everton were there to see them uh, lose at home again, just adding to the, uh, the, the lack of enthusiasm, it seems, from Everton fans. And our next story is another reason for those fans who are opposed to the takeover to be concerned. Yeah, and and just a, a quick piece of advice to uh, the prospective owners of uh, Everton: um, baseball caps and Goodison Park don't go together. <laughs> um, but this, this is in respect of the Brazilian club Vasco da Gama, and it has been given a transfer ban by FIFA uh, and. FIFA is effectively the the police officer for international deals. Uh, Vasco da Gama signed, I think, three or four players from Argentina and other countries in South America, and they've not paid the instalments. So Vasco da Gama is 70% owned by 777 Partners. Um, There's also talk about 777 Partners missing a payment in respect of its sponsorship or quasi-ownership of British basketball. There is another story in respect of 7-7 Partners, which I cannot say, uh, but it might be in the public domain by the time the, the, the show goes out. In, in which, I, But all I say, it's not a positive story. So you look at this drip, 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 um, and yes, 7-7-7, they've spoken to a supporters group and fans have said, well, they speak very well. Yeah, but... They would do, wouldn't they? Yeah, they're hardly going to say that we're skint, but we're trying to buy your club on borrowed funds and borrowed time or whatever. Um, so, yeah, doesn't look good, but they appear to be the only, yeah, they're the, they're the only hat in the ring, or the right. only baseball cap in the ring <laughs> at present in their particular circumstances. And, and therefore, you can understand why some Everton fans are saying, well, you know, the alternative doesn't look great. Um, there has been a story in the mail that uh, Leicester, I think Leicester, Leeds, Burnley are all threatening to to sue Everton. And they've sent a letter to 777 Partners to say, if you do take over the club the way, we're looking for £300 million between us because we've got relegated when we believe that you were in breach. Now, that could be... yeah that. That could be just a way of trying to to scare them off. It could be a way of you know, trying to come up with a deal before the deal goes through, and so on. So I, you know, I, I take it all with a pinch of salt. But yeah, they're not covering themselves in glory. I'll say no more than that. Yeah, we had a story earlier, Kieran, about a massive club in the northwest possibly selling a minority stake, and just across Stanley Park from. Everton, exactly that thing is happening at Anfield. Yeah, but but this is how to do it. Liverpool, no fuss, no leaks to the press. Uh, A deal is announced with a a company called Dynasty Equity. 
they're going to put between 80 to 160 million pounds into the club, not into the pockets of FSG. They're going to put money into the club. And this is going to help with the expansion of Anfield. It's going to pay down some of the existing debt. And it gives a relatively new private equity company. It's not a sponsorship deal. But if I was setting up in that particular area of finance, partnering with a brand such as Liverpool makes a lot of sense. Uh, So, yeah, I think that the way that they've played this is very, very professional and it's completely at odds with what's turning into uh, a soap opera at Old Trafford. And, you know, I know plenty of Liverpool fans, I know plenty of Manchester United fans and, and, you know, the Liverpool fans that I've spoken to have said, yeah, we're all happy with this. You know, we, we have no issue. Um, you know, we, we can see the financial benefits. Everybody wins. So this is a deal that, I mean, for it, it's a relatively large amount of money being invested into Liverpool, but a relatively small amount of money for a, 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 a giant equity investment company. So both people are happy. That, that's right. So I think it's between 80 to 160 million pounds. Now, if this is in the form of fresh shares, the other benefit to, to Liverpool is that because it's an equity investment, which is going to the club, it contributes towards FFP. Whereas ah. if Sir Jim Ratcliffe is buying shares for the Glazers, that doesn't contribute towards FFP, which means Manchester United's next transfer window, again, will be quite constrained. So I'm sorry, I'm slightly confused. So why is there such a clear distinction between money going to FSG and money going to Liverpool when it doesn't seem to be that clear between money going to the Glazers and money going to Manchester United? Right. There are there are two ways of buying shares in a company. Right. Let's say that you own a hundred shares in Crystal Palace and you decide to sell them to me. So that so if I pay, um, let's say um, I pay you a thousand pounds, yeah, unlikely, unlikely, yeah, unlikely but, for both. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I give you a thousand pounds, and and I now own a hundred shares in Crystal Palace. Completely bypasses the club, so club right. doesn't okay, benefit got, financially. Got, got you. No implications for FFP. I have you. I have you. It, yeah. Yeah. Whereas here, Liverpool Football Club or Liverpool Football and Athletic Club Limited, or whatever it's going to be, they are going to physically issue shares gotcha. to okay. Dynasty Equity and therefore Liverpool received the cash and as a result of that equity injections into the football club do contribute towards FFP. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> the first words of this next sentence, Kieran, are, are something I never imagined I'd be saying on this pod, but it, it says here right in front of me, Barcelona have reported profits after tax. Uh, I'll leave you to fill the figures in, Kieran, but I've still, it's, <laughs> after all we've spoken about about Barcelona, I can't for the life of me work out how this has happened. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I, sh- I should be presenting Newsnight with that degree of sneer, shouldn't I? <laughs> That's, true. What? That's the sort of yes that Ali gives me when I go for a really convoluted excuse about why well, I'm four hours late home. And it, yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. And then what happened um, to the bus strike? And then as a, you re- and you rescued two kittens from a tree, did you? That's who would have thought that could happen? <laughs> yes. Okay. They have announced four hundred million pounds worth of profit, um, but the only reason why they've made that level of profit 
is sorry, 304 million uh, euros worth of profit is because of their legendary economic levers, ah, okay. i.e. what they've done, right. they've been flogging off bits of the club and they've been saying this is, this is part of our normal day-to-day activities. If you take away the profits from those levers, um, I've, I've not seen the actual income statement yet, I think the club would be reporting a substantial loss. So take those and take that announcement, which was very grand and very Barcelona-esque, uh, take it with a large degree of cynicism. Not that this programme makes you uh, cynical. Of course. Oh, we are, we're cynics, of course. I, I, I presume then, Kieran, that they can only report profits from those economic levers once in. They can't... They won't. Absolutely. Right, OK. Yeah. So, so Barcelona fans who are going, look how clever we are, this time next season might be thinking... Uh, they're lesser okay because no, next year you've got 75 percent of your, your broadcast income and you've got 51 percent of your merchandise income instead of the 100 percent you've been reporting in previous years okay right okay uh, well barcelona brings us to Lionel messi and uh, fans are not happy into miami kieran um no but i see this as the thin end thin end of the wedge. Mm. Yeah, we, we've spoken at length with regards to the number of American owners in in the Premier League. Yeah. And what are they looking for? Um and yeah, that that's open to debate and so on. In American sport, um you buy a season ticket and, and what we've seen at Inter Miami is that the price of season tickets has gone up, I think between forty percent to two hundred percent for next season. And your your cheapest season ticket, I think it's now something like eight eight or nine hundred dollars. You could be paying you know, tens of thousands of dollars for a season ticket. And the club said, "Well, if you want, you can move to a cheaper seat." Um, and and the reason is this is is due to Messi mania. So you know, there's all this talk about you know David Beckham's bought this football club, isn't isn't it great, and so on. Um, the aim of Inter Miami, it is a franchise business. It is there to make money. And clearly, given the popularity of Lionel Messi um, and the impact that he's initially had at um, at the club, it looks like Inter are trying to, to monetize that. And they say, well, we've got, a, we've got a list of people that want to have season tickets um, so therefore, we're just going to jack up the prices uh, un- until yeah, we effectively get that list substantially down. Well, if American owners can do that, well, fact, an English owner, let's face it, if an English owner can do that to an American franchise club in in the MLS, will American owners start doing similar? And we've seen you know, issues at Fulham with the prices they're charging from Shahid Khan. And, and this isn't an anti-American rant and it isn't an anti-capitalism rant. Um there is a case, there is an economic case for saying that ticket prices in Premier League football are too cheap. Um, but anybody who's a legacy fan, anybody who's a legacy owner will say, well, hold on, you know, these are also the people that, should the club be relegated, will turn up on a Tuesday night in November to watch us lose 3-0 at home to Huddersfield. So you know, we're not going to shaft them now because they might not come back should we ever be relegated. Um, that's not an issue in the MLS, of course, because there's no relegation. But it is indicative of football is now moving into the entertainment industry as far as many owners and private equity investors are concerned. And they will say, well, you know, we'll, we'll quite happily charge you know 
250 quid, 300 quid a pop if you're going to watch um, you know, a, a big pop star. So if you're going to see the Foo Fighters or you're going to see such and such a person, whereas if it is if it is the dead Kennedys, you're only going to pay 20 quid, well, we're going to do exactly the same in football and we're going to jack up the prices and we're going to squeeze the fans uh, because yeah, we can. So that that's, that is my concern, that if those clubs that do have significant waiting lists, owners are looking for, for excuses and opportunities to put up prices. Mm. Our final story, Kieran, we talked about Red Pep earlier on, and I like to think there's a scenario whereby Red Pep in 20 years' time has become even more left-wing than he is now. And he thinks to himself, I'm going to win my career at an appropriate club. I'm going to go to FC San Pauli, uh, Hamburg's other club. They won't thank me for saying that, but Hamburg's other club, who are known for their anti-establishment uh, stances, Kieran. And they've made a big statement this week. Yeah, they've said... Children should love. Children should be there for the love of the game, and football clubs should provide them with facilities and opportunities because they love the game as well. So, if you are a football agent who has spotted a young player and you're going to try to sign them up because you see them as a meal ticket, they ain't going to do FC St. Pauli. We do. We, so we are not prepared to work with private agencies. As far as the academy is concerned, we are not going to uh, allow players to have agents or representatives, and we're going to discourage these people even from coming to observe the kids. Um, now, you, know, you and I both know some pretty awful stories with regards to agents you know, that they can't sign the players, I think, until they're, they're 16. Um, so what they do is they tap up the parents or they, they send the, the kids you know, Xboxes and PS5s and boots and so on. Um, so, so, yeah, fair play, F's and it's poorly. Uh, it's, it's the appropriate thing to do. Is it going to stop the... the I think trafficking is again. It's probably a disproportionate word, but certainly in some countries, you see young, promising kids being not snatched away from their families, but effectively adopted by agents who who then just see these kids as an opportunity to make money for many many years. Well, you, you've hit the nail on the head, Kieran, because it it shouldn't be the story that San Paoli have are stopping this. The story should be that most other clubs aren't stopping it. Mm. Um, and as you say, it's it's not so much an issue of keeping agents away from kids; it's keeping them away from the parents, yeah. because it's something we discuss in in our new book. And again, it's an indication of how sensitive an issue it is that those agents who were prepared to give us information would only do so on the basis of complete anonymity, um, yeah. because you know. But it's it's rife and it's wrong because as FC San Paolo say. These are children. Um, thank you to everyone who's donated to Pod via our Patreon page. It's very kind of you. Uh, if you'd like to join those kind people by making a small monthly contribution to the pod, not only will you feel better about yourself, but you'll get access to our chat community and our regular quizzes. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. Um, as I've been saying in the past couple of weeks, we do have some gigs coming up. Unfortunately, um, due to reasons completely beyond our control, the book event at the Winter Gardens in Blackpool on October the 12th will not now be happening. We're really sorry about that. There's not a lot we could do um, in that situation. 
Uh, but if you did buy a ticket, uh, many of you did, you'll get a full refund. Uh, we do have the live show still coming up at the Lowry Theatre in Salford on October 22nd. Tickets are going quite quickly for that, so you need to get in uh, and as they are for the Royal Yacht on Jersey on November the 7th. And we'll also be having a book event at Dulwich Hamlet on, I believe, the 16th of November. The gigs at um, Salford and the Royal Yacht are proper live Price of Football uh, shows. And the one at Dulwich will be a book launch type thing. Uh, we'll give you more details of that in a few days. If I, if I come across as too professional at any stage, anybody, just let me know. Uh, and if you'd like to pre-order our new book, Unfit and Improper Persons, An Idiot's Guide to Owning a Football Club. So you get it as soon as it comes out on October the 12th, which is next week. It's oh, it's it's an exciting and nerve-wracking time, Kieran, isn't it, the week before your book comes out? Uh, you, can get, you can get 30% off by using the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL30, which all seems to be in block capitals, price of football 30 at checkout when you order via bloomsbury.com. So if you want that 30% off, you have to go via bloomsbury.com and use the code price of football 30. If you'd like to buy one of our other books or get yourself a price of football t-shirt, you can find details on our website, priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Monday with our usual Monday questions pod. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you to everybody the uh, support for the show uh, thank you for shown interest uh, yeah who's looking forward to to the book uh, and also are coming to see us at uh, at jersey and and salford and and dulwich as well and, and we're genuinely sorry girl i i was looking forward to going back to frenchies um, <laughs> in blackport for, for the scene of the scene of a story which i cannot uh, say <laughs> On on on, on air because I think we'd lose all of our advertisers instantly. It should, should just be communicated. Um, there, there's a variety of ways you can support the show. Uh, one of which is to uh, is to give us a review uh, using whatever app you you listen to your podcasts. By all accounts, it doesn't matter uh, what you write. So you could even say you would rather have the show presented by. Dr. Richard Beeching, who wrote the 1963 Beeching Report, which destroyed much of the wonderful rail network of his country, and Rishi Sunak. (laughs) That's that. I was not expecting a Dr. Richard Beeching reference. I have to say, Kieran, <laughs> that was high on the. Um, you know, on our last pod, Kieran, you mentioned that you felt that you had a limited vocabulary. When you first told me that story about Frenchies, you used words that I had to look up, Kieran. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, and you're, yeah. I, I can't even say to people that if you come to the Salford gig and get Kieran drunk afterwards, he might tell that story because you can't get him drunk. So what you, <laughs> what you might have to do is get me drunk, and I'll tell you a. I'll tell you, no, I wouldn't do such a good story as well. Bye, everybody. Bye. Buy some football.